Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians read through the book of Concord and discuss what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of Faith. On today's show, we will start Article 5 of the Epitome of the Formula of Concord, looking at the status of the controversy with regard to the law and the gospel. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul, Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Mark Neville, pastor of St. John's Lutheran in Redbud, Illinois. He's also the first vice president of the Southern Illinois District. Pastor Neville, welcome to Concord Matters. Well, Pastor Smith, thank you for inviting me to be with you today. Looking forward to our time together and our discussion on Long Gospel. Yes, and I, I guess, you know, it, it's only fitting that I have you on. I mean, being as you're the first vice president of the district, I guess that kind of makes you what, like my archbishop or something like that over there in southern Illinois. So, uh, you know, definitely <laughs> definitely want to uh, make sure I'm in uh, you know, good, good standing there, but, uh, it's, it's honestly, in all honesty, uh, an honor to have you on. You're a good brother, pastor and a faithful confessor in the church. And so thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, we're going to jump right in then. As I said, we are picking up with article five of the epitome of the formula Concord. Of course, we'll make references as need be to the solid declaration that much lengthier and in-depth treatment. We won't read through that on the show here because that just, quite frankly, makes for bad radio. But uh, the epitome uh, is is really direct and to the point and provides plenty for us to discuss. And so let's go ahead and get to that. A reminder, we read from the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And this is Article 5, The Law and the Gospel from the Epitome of the Formula of Concord, the status of the controversy, the chief question in this controversy. Is the preaching of the Holy Gospel properly not just a preaching of grace, which announces the forgiveness of sins, but also a preaching of repentance and reproof, rebuking unbelief, which some people say is not rebuked in the law, but only through the gospel? All right. Pretty straightforward question that they are wrestling with here. So go ahead and break it down. What What is it that we are wrestling with here? What's the status of the controversy, Pastor Noble? Well, the definition of what is law and uh, what is gospel and how are each to be applied and used and taught in the church. The issue goes back to the early days of the Reformation and to a colleague of Martin Luther named John, or perhaps you'd prefer Johann, right? <laughs> that's that's the name how's, of my son, that's how's, correct. How's yeah. he doing? Good German name, yeah. <laughs> um, John Agricola, 
who was a about 10 years younger than Luther, came to Wittenberg as a student, in fact, accompanied Luther um, to Leipzig for the debate in 1519. Uh, maybe we could say he was a cheerleader for Luther there. Um, but cut his nose out of joint, or might say a burr under his saddle, at one point uh, a few years later in 1526 when he was up for a professorship at the university and Philip Melanchthon was given the spot and Agricola wasn't. And uh, from there on, he just had it out for both Melanchthon and also for Luther himself because Luther had recommended Melanchthon for the position and not Agricola. And uh, it can happen in... um, politics. It can happen in the workplace. It can even happen in the church. Once you have something against somebody, they can't do anything right. And you're just looking for any way to criticize them or belittle them or oppose them. Uh, You know, a person can do 99 things right, but somebody's going to point out the one thing that they think you do wrong. And from then on, Agricola found a reason or a way to be opposed to both Melanchthon and Luther. And it it came through in this whole matter of law and gospel. Luther was somewhat suspicious of Agricola, called him Grickle, actually, um, because he knew that there was just something deficient about his character probably why he didn't recommend him for the professorship in the first place. And uh, Agricola lived down to Luther's expectations of him. Um, Wrote some nasty things, both about Melanchthon and about Luther. And one of the things he picked up on, and and it does, does come through in the writings of Melanchthon, that the gospel can include a, a preaching of repentance. Now, this gets us to, what do you mean by gospel? <clears throat> and, you know, we hear the word gospel and we can say, well, there are the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or in worship, we might say there is the gospel reading as part of the service. But Melanchthon liked to use the word gospel in what he called a broad sense, that is the the teaching of the faith, the whole body of Christian doctrine. And we still use it in that way. Okay? We'll talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to take the gospel out into all the world. And, and we're not defining that any narrowly than that. But Agricola picked up on that. And he said, well, if Melanchthon says that the gospel is a preaching of repentance and forgiveness of sins, um, then we don't need the law anymore if the gospel brings about repentance. Even though in the narrow sense, the gospel is uh, God's good news of forgiveness, faith, life, and the power to please him with good works. It's focused on salvation in Jesus Christ, whereas the law commands good works of thought and word and deed and condemns and punishes sin. I, I'm quoting catechism questions and answers, but we we have our confirmation examination coming up in a few weeks, so I've got my, my head in the catechism with the eighth graders. Uh, so Agricola came to say that we don't need the law in the church anymore. Uh, save the law for the unbelievers, the unregenerate, 
save the law for the courthouse, save the law for the city hall. But in the church, the gospel is all that is needed because the gospel is also a preaching of repentance. So this becomes a confusion of what law and gospel are. And Luther is going to have to address that with Agricola. And he does so a number of times. Um, In fact, Luther ended up, I believe it was six different disputations, uh, theses for disputation that he wrote against Agricola. Four of those disputations he was able to do publicly, even though Agricola didn't show up for the first one. So you can tell this was an ongoing issue. And Agricola would be taken out to the woodshed, you might say, and corrected by Luther, and he would admit, yeah, I didn't say that correctly. I'll I'll be better next time. Now then he'd go back to his old ways and find a reason or an opportunity to criticize both Luther and Melanchthon for this. And it got Agricola into trouble a number of times, and they shipped him around from one place to another. Um, even... Well, even more so after Luther's death, that Agricola spouted off his his teaching on this. Um, he was one of the authors of the Augsburg Interim, which was the theological peace treaty, you might say, after the Lutherans lost the small Caldic War with the Roman Catholics. And Agricola wrote this interim, which basically watered down the teaching of the Reformation so that the reformers could have a a kind of a compromised peace in their area and still be able to teach some of the Reformation. And the the Roman Catholic emperor would feel satisfied that he had defeated these Lutherans and they were now back into the fold of the Catholic faith. Um, Really, up to the end of his life, Agricola was getting himself in trouble, and the only thing that spared him from, from further controversy was that he died. So he never truly recanted of his erroneous teachings. And rather odd thing, even though he was uh, an opponent of Melanchthon, after Melanchthon's death, some of Melanchthon's followers kind of picked up on Agricola's teachings and carried them on. And that would lead us into Article 6 of the formula. Right, which of course will be over the third use of the law, which is very much connected in with what you've laid out really well for us here, right, is that uh, what what are the, you know, it seems like I say this on this show every week, and, and I'm really just quoting what my wife says around the house all the time, words mean things, right, and so what are, what do we mean by the words, the law and the gospel, and and I think it's really helpful what you laid out there, that we do still have this sense of the broader sense of the word gospel, that it includes all of the work of what Christ came to do. And so when Christ begins his earthly ministry and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, in the broad sense, that's a part of the gospel, right? Okay. So, uh, but then specifically in the specifics of it, um, then the gospel does not include repentance. It just, it's the free forgiveness of Christ for you. That, that, that's in the, the more narrow sense we might say, right? Correct. And the the gospel in the narrow sense is the preaching of um, forgiveness, life, and salvation. So the law is still needed. 
we still need to preach the law because we remain even baptized believing Christians with the gift of the Holy Spirit we still remain sinners and we still need to be shown our sin and our sin needs to be called out for what it is if we don't have that preaching of the law then the gospel loses its power and its sweetness Uh, we can't appreciate the sweet if we haven't tasted the sour Um, We don't know what's good if we haven't experienced the bad. And law and gospel both need to be preached within the church, even to believing Christians. Yeah, I always, at the end of my show, I I say if you have a question or comment that you'd like to leave for the next time we convene for Concord. And I actually received this um, from uh, Pastor David Wiest uh, last week. He he knew where we were going. And he he sent this along, this thought. And I I think that this fits in with what we were just talking about here. Uh, And he he quotes Walther, which I always love Walther quotes on this show. So uh, he says, you know, Walther calls the distinction of law and gospel the supreme art among Christians. And this is Pastor Weiss then saying, he says, I wonder if you just gave those descriptions to a variety of Christians, including Lutherans, but also others, what they would guess Chemnitz and Walther are talking about. I'm guessing they would guess the proclamation of the gospel. But I love the precision of our fathers, being the the Lutheran church fathers, who recognize the glorious relationship between these two teachings of the Bible. What a wonderful comfort that they are not in conflict with one another, but are partners in providing exactly what we need. And and I that made me think of his his comment that he sent in when you said, you know, until we know kind of the sourness of the law that accuses me. Right. We don't know the sweetness of the gospel. And so we do need both law and and gospel, and, and to properly distinguish them as the great work of uh, uh, CFW Walther does so well and teaches us to do, uh, but it's also learned in experience, right? And so uh, they, they, they go together. It's like a perfect marriage. It's like uh, uh, peanut butter and chocolate in a Reese's peanut butter cup or something. You know, it's just the most perfect marriage together that really, that really does provide it so sweet. Well, at the risk of thumping our chests or patting ourselves on the back, I like to say that uh, among Christian churches, we in the Lutheran Church understand this distinction between law and gospel. We have a handle on this better than any other Christian denomination or theology. Thanks, of course, to Martin Luther and uh, his teaching of law and gospel, and in our own Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, thanks, uh, as you mentioned, to C.F.W. Walther and his teaching of the distinction between law and gospel. And that makes Scripture so much clearer when we see that. Um, I mentioned eighth grade religion instruction, which I teach four days a week uh, in our day school. And we start the year out. I do Bible survey. We Genesis through Revelation during the year. But we begin the year talking about law and gospel and the differences between the two. And I'm trying, if nothing else during the year, I'm trying to get the eighth graders to understand uh, when you're reading the Bible, look for law and gospel. And a key word, of course, in that is the little bitty word, but it has so much meaning, but. And whenever you see that word, you should be thinking law and gospel, which is usually the order it appears, law then gospel. Sometimes it's the other way around. And it's just amazing how often in Scripture we do see that. Uh, 
Um, the law and the gospel, and they're joined by that little word, but. Unless you get fancy, and then it's however or nevertheless. Uh, but for those of you who are doing your own individual scripture reading, just notice how many times that word but appears, and, and then take a look. Is it connecting law and gospel? It probably is. Yeah, and, and it is so key for understanding scripture, and it's also how we listen to sermons. I, you know, I we love catechism connections on this class, so it was perfectly fine that or in this show. Uh, but uh, so uh, that uh, it was perfectly fine that you took us to the catechism and this right understanding uh, uh, in catechism class as well. But uh, I, I teach my catechumens then also how to listen to a sermon mm-hmm. with law and gospel, right? And I actually have them take sermon notes and, and I, and I want, and I check what they write, you know, you know, what, what are you hearing as the law in this sermon and what is the gospel? And, and the, the, beautiful proclamation that we have and it's it's not a you know not to beat our chest it, it, it's a thing of humility we have been so richly blessed in the lutheran church to have great theologians like luther and walther and chemnitz uh and the other confessors of the formula of concord as well um that have so faithfully uh rightly distinguished law and gospel and taught us and passed it down in the church and it, it continues to be a great treasure in the lutheran church and the more that we can teach our folks how to read scripture how to listen sermons and and get the law and the gospel it's just so beautifully comforting and and i'm i have my mind circling around you say you've been doing catechism classes just this morning i did a funeral and it was revelation 3 verse 11 was her confirmation verse and i i use the old tradition of preaching on the confirmation verse at a funeral and uh it says i am coming soon hold fast to what you have and you will receive the crown or, or no one will seize your crown, rather. And, you know, there, there's a way that in broad Christianity, again, not being boastful or, or, you know, looking to shame the other denominations and so forth, but such passages like that so often, especially in American Christianity, get preached in a way that it's really just law. It's you have to do this. You have to hold it fast. And I and I just, you know, I, I loved being a Lutheran with a text like that for a Lutheran funeral because I get to explain how it's the gospel, the strength of Christ who has saved you, forgiving you all your sins and promises eternal life. That's what holds you fast in the faith. And that's what keeps you coming back again and again for his word and sacrament to strengthen you, body and soul, in the one true faith unto life everlasting. And and I really do think that that is a Lutheran distinction to preach a text like that and not make it all law of what you have to do, but you see Christ, uh, you, you, you start with Christ and it ends with Christ and it just wraps you up. And, you know, again, not beating my chest or anything like that, but I, I just love when after a sermon like that, you have folks that come up to you after the funeral and they're like, oh, that was just such a beautifully comforting sermon. It's like, right, because the gospel comforted you and we rightly distinguish law and gospel. You mentioned the sermon notes, and I think that maybe I'm, I'm glad to hear another pastor who has his students do that. I think there's a number of pastors who will do that, and and for this very reason, so that they learn to listen to a sermon. Uh, on the the sheet I have for our students, there's the the typical, you know, what day of the church year is it? What's the color of the paraments? What are the scripture readings? What's the sermon hymn? That type of thing. But then I, I ask the question, what? points of God's law 
did this sermon proclaim? You know, what's the bad news? And I give him a couple of lines to answer that. And then the next question is, how does this sermon show me the forgiveness of my sins in Jesus Christ? What's the gospel? And I give him a few lines on that. And I'll tell him, you're not kindergartners. Okay, you're eighth graders. Don't just say, I'm bad. Jesus loves me. You know, Tell me what I'm saying in the sermon when it comes to the law and what I'm saying in the sermon when it comes to the gospel, hoping that in doing this, they will develop a better appreciation and understanding of how to listen to a sermon uh, and thus be better at taking part in a worship service, not just sitting there thinking that they're bored and they want to play on their cell phone or something like that. Um, and then you, you mentioned the law and the odd thing is, I, I think our sinful nature really likes the law. It's part of our makeup. Uh, as long as it's, as it's law that I can keep, just give me kind of that bare minimum of what I need to do and what I shouldn't do, and I'll be happy. So we like law that we can keep, and we really like law that other people can't keep, and we can criticize them for it. Then we can double down on the law and feel very justified. So if there is a, a preaching of only the law, we either, you know, the confessions say, we either become presumptuous people, thinking that we're pretty good, or it drives us to despair. We realize how bad off we are. But unfortunately, without the gospel, then there's no remedy, no solution to that. Uh, so we do need the gospel than to be preached to those who have heard the law so that they know that the remedy is outside of themselves. It's not in what we do or shouldn't do, but it's in all that Jesus has done for us. Uh, the full and free forgiveness of our sins, salvation that has been completely, totally won for us by God's own son living in our human flesh, uh, his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead. And it's given to us as a gift. Which now takes us to Article, you know, would take us to Article 6. What then shall we do? Or the good Lutheran question, what does this mean? Uh, so having this great salvation been giving, given to us, um, how then shall we live? I think Francis Schaeffer had a book by that title. Uh, and that that's where the law can help us because God doesn't just leave us on our own because if left on our own, we'd come up with all kinds of strange stuff uh, in terms of right living. But God gives us his law that guides us in that. Yeah, I, I think what comes to mind there is I may not have the quote exactly right, but uh, St. Augustine, I think, says something like we we love the law or we love God's word when it shines warmly on us. But when it, you know, rebukes and uh, accuses us, <laughs> then we're not uh, such a big fan of it. I know that that's not a direct quote, but uh, uh, that's uh, that's, you know, the the basis, the paraphrase of it rather. And 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 at least for myself and in and, and my pastoral ministry, I can generally tell sticking with the distinction of law and gospel when the law is doing it because the law is going to accuse that's what it does right it always accuses it doesn't only accuse we'll talk more about that later especially as we get into uh, uh, article 6 on the third use of the law but it does always accuse and and at least for myself when I start getting angry 
right? It's pretty pretty good sign that the law is doing its job. And and I can usually see this in my parishioners too. They start getting angry at me. It's like the people of Israel with Moses, right? You know, they start getting angry, you know, or or the people of Israel with the prophets or, you know, John the Baptist faced this and the apostles did as well. Uh, they start getting angry. Well, why? Because the law is doing its job. And that is where we need to have the clear distinction. Of course, it's accusing you and you don't like it. But let me tell you the good news of how you're saved from this. It's not in your ability to do right or wrong or anything of that nature. That keeps you in the law. And I think this then uh, distinct, uh, distinguishes us uh, also from a lot of other Christianity, again, as we've kind of touched on and talked about here, is I, I often put it this way, that there's a lot of folks and other denominations that it seems like we're driving down a two-lane highway and we're side by side, we're going the same speed, you know, we're, we're doing great, we're saying the same things, we're doing the same moves and everything. And then all of a sudden, for, for some inexplicable reason, they'll get off on an exit and, and and it's like, you know, I, I'm, I just want to stay in the law here. I, I don't want to go any further. I'm like, what are you doing? The gospel proclamation is up ahead. Let's let's get to the gospel. Um, but the exit that they take, they oftentimes call it gospel, but it just keeps them in the law. And so we, we definitely need the right distinction. And that's that's why this this controversy, this issue needs to continue to be confessed and studied and understand why why is it important to distinguish law and gospel? Because if not, we just stay in the law. We're going to have to go ahead and take a break there, but we'll come right back and we'll we'll talk more about the status of the controversy right after this. So please join us. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive Word and Sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide Word and Sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. How do we love our neighbor on the internet? Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. 
sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. And welcome back to Concord Matters. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, along with my fellow comfort today, Pastor Mark Nebel of St. John Lutheran and Redbud, First Vice President of Southern Illinois District. That's great, Archbishop. I got, I got things here that we need to deal with now. We got we to gotta distinguish some law and gospel. All right, so we talked about, you talked about, um, let me get the music out of there. That, that's enough of that. All right, um, we talked about, you, you talked about how our sinful nature, and I agree, we made this point on this show several times, in some sense, we like the law, things that we control, things that we feel like we can do. Uh, as I kind of loosely quoted and paraphrased St. Augustine, you know, we like it when it shines warmly on us, right? Uh, you'll sometimes hear this when uh, people come out of church and they say, oh, pastor really liked that sermon. You really gave it to them. Sometimes, maybe this is why I'm not a very good pastor, probably why you have to deal with a lot of problems, you know, complaints about that pastor down there in Wine Hill. It always accuses. I, 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 you know, put forward that, you know, the law always accuses. And I said, doesn't only accuse, but it does always accuse. What about that law when it comes to us? The law does accuse us. We, we may have ways of fighting that off. Um, the people in my congregation know I'm a fan of alliteration. And I like to say that when the law accuses, uh, our reaction will be to deny I didn't do that. Or diminish. Eh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Or deflect. Well, I yeah, I may have done that, but you did something far worse. And so we have our own ways of trying to rationalize the law away. Um, for example, there may be someone who is very strong on, on marriage that couples should be married if they are going to live together and and will point out how all these other these other people are living together outside of marriage and that's a terrible sin why are they doing that um and, and that's fine for him as long as nobody in his family is living together outside of marriage um but let's say all of a sudden this person finds himself or herself unmarried and is lonely and wants to have a relationship but doesn't want to have to lose out on some benefits that they would lose if they got remarried. And so they start living together with someone, and now all of a sudden, that's just fine. And don't you dare say anything against it, because I have my reasons for doing this. And and the law that we can use against others, we can easily rationalize away when that law starts shining upon ourselves. Um or, or, you know, if I may just interrupt for a second, a very common one I see is that, you know, we're, we're pretty conservative uh, in terms of values, um, church body, and we, we love to get on the political stump as well as it is a it is a matter of God's law stump against homosexuality. Right. Uh, of course, it's it's a real strong wrestle. And, and there's help for those folks uh, who wrestle with you know, matters that come up in their own life or in their family with homosexuality. So we, we need to, we need to meet those um, issues as well with God's word, but we love to get on it when it comes to homosexuality, but the same commandment of God's law, the sixth commandment applies to your grandson who is fornicating with his girlfriend 
outside of marriage or living together or whatever it may be. And if, and you know, I, I once heard a pastor say this, he said, you know, I will go to prison before I'll ever do a homosexual marriage. And I said, well, that's easy to say. How many weddings have you done where they were committing adultery by having sex before marriage? And, and how many of them have you called to repentance? Well, that's a different issue. No, it's not. It's the same issue. They need to be called to repentance. God's law is God's law. And, and, and I think that this plays in, right? And, and I like what you said, too. You know, even I see this with older folks, too. They, they'll, they'll rationalize and, and justify, self-justify their reasons, practical reasons, you know, and we wanna, they want them, us to feel sorry for them for their particular reasons for why they need to be fornicating, even as older adults, which is just uncomfortable, right? Especially for myself as a younger pastor to deal with older folk, uh, fornicators. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing, but God's, God's word is God's word. This, this is true. And, uh, the image that I was sharing with you a while ago is that of a, of a high jump bar. If you ever had to do that in, in high school PE, you set that bar at a height where, uh, where I can jump over. I'm pretty happy with it. And I'm really happy with it. If others in the class fail to jump over that bar at that level, I can I can feel real good about myself and uh, look down upon them. But if we're honest with ourselves, when it comes to God's law, that high jump bar is set so high up in the clouds, we can't even see it. Uh, it is impossible for us to keep it. Not because there's anything wrong with God's law. God's law is wonderful. God's law is perfect. Uh, it is given to us by a loving Heavenly Father who wants what is best for us. And when we're honest with ourselves and we look at God's law, He's trying to provide for us. He's trying, God's trying to protect us. He, we, in our sinful nature, we look at God's law and say, well, He's just trying to take away our fun and our freedom. Well, no. God's wanting us to live a full and free life apart from slavery to sin. And if we could do that, if we could follow God's law, uh, apart from the sinful nature that we have, if we could follow God's law, we would reap the benefits of it. We would enjoy how wonderful it is, um, the will of our loving Heavenly Father. But there's that sinful nature that comes in and uh, does not allow us to live according to God's law. Now, there are those who will deny a sinful nature. This takes us back to original sin. You mentioned, uh, I think we said article one with original sin and they don't see that particularly in their children, you know, and they wonder why are, why are our children acting like this? What is wrong with them? There must be some type of disorder that we have to identify. There must be some type of disease that we must diagnose. Um, there must be some type of, uh, oh, maybe if we get really bad, it's a demon that's gotten a hold of our child. And the answer is, no. You've got a sinner on your hands. And that child's been a sinner from birth. Um, Which is that, exactly why we say that when we baptize them. I, I love to remind parents when they come later in life, uh, and I even do it now with my one-year-old son. Maybe maybe it's unfair to my son, but I'm always pointing out his sinful nature. I'm like, you know, you know why he's acting like that? 
There's a little sinner right there. Mm -hmm. But thanks be to God, he has been claimed by Christ in the waters of holy baptism, and he is thus also a saint. But with parents, you know, when they come later on in life, you know, what, what is going on? What's going on with my, my child and so forth? I remind them, do you remember what was said all the way back there at the baptism, right? You know, that, that this is one who was born in sin. And, and the remedy for that is baptism. When I meet with parents and sponsors and families before we do a baptism, uh, we, we walk through the catechism section on baptism and uh, you get that uh, baptism works forgiveness of sins um, rescues from death and the devil and gives eternal salvation and i point out that that's awful hard for first-time parents to understand because the baby is born and the baby is cute and it's just pure and precious and holy and sweet and innocent and all of that good stuff and here comes this mean old pastor talking about the need for forgiveness of sins. How dare he do that? And I'll tell him, eh, just wait, about 18 months to two years, you're going to bring this baby back and you're going to say, Pastor, baptize him all over again. Because <laughs> obviously the first one didn't take. You know, he's still got the devil in him. Because as parents, we don't spend our time, energy, and effort teaching our children how to do bad things. We don't have to show them how to put their hand on a hot stove or draw on the wall with a crayon. I put a piece of toast in the DVD player. You know, they come up with that just fine on their own. It's their sinful nature. As parents, we spend our time, energy, and effort teaching our children how to do what's right and proper. And we'll make them productive members of society because that's not part of their nature. Now, you mentioned yours is one-year-old. Johan's one-year-old. Oh, you don't, you don't know what you got coming. You might think you do. I have some friends that have 14-year-olds and things. Yeah. I, I observe. You, you, you might think you got a handle on this, but just wait. It's coming. I raised, I raised five kids, and uh, they'll, they'll tell you the, the, the threats. You know, don't make me pull this van over, right? And they'll tell you the day, the story of the day I did pull the van over. Now, if any of my children are listening, Daddy still loves you. Um, but I know what it's like to, to raise children who are sinners, it's because we all are. There's no disease, no diagnosis, no disorder, no, no demon other than an original sinful nature that remains with us. Now, now we get to this point. Um, so we come to faith in Christ. We're believers in Jesus. And there are going to be some churches that teach, well, now you're perfect. And, and it doesn't matter what you do from now on. You're not a sinner, which is ridiculous. Um, Luther would tell us, you know, feel if you still have a flesh, uh, look around. Are you still in the world? Is the devil still out there prowling around? Well, yes to all of that. And that means that we still have a, a sinful nature. We have the temptations of the world and we have the devil leading us, uh, as much as possible away from the goodness of God. And, and I think to bring it back to the catechism and our distinguishing of law and gospel then too, I think this is also why, and you were just quoting from the Christian questions and answers uh, attributed to Luther uh, and, and included in the catechism, very helpful, right? Draws it all together. But I'm even thinking just in the, what we would commonly think of as the law, the 10 commandments section, right? Right where Luther begins, right? And I'm sure you teach this as I teach this and, and, and Lutheran pastors teach this, right? That when it comes to Luther's explanation 
of each commandment, right? You have the negative, what you should not do, but then you also have the positive, right? Um, and, and I wonder how this then relates to, to law and gospel distinction there, right? You know, that, that the negative, of course, it accuses me because I shouldn't do this. And guess what? That's what I'm doing, right? Um, it also would accuse me in some sense in the positive, right? That, uh, you know, this is what I should be doing and I'm not doing that. But then as, as I, I receive the free grace and forgiveness, that proclamation of the gospel, this is what Jesus has done for you. He has kept this. He has not done the negative and he has done the positive, right? And of course, then this kind of leads us into the next article, which we're not going to go into, right? Um, but uh, th- then it leads me into... Well, then this is how I live according to this. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing and it's a good thing. But you only get the sweetness of the law, if I may, when you've actually had the sourness of the law, the sweetness of the gospel. And then I see, oh, yeah, this this really is what is full and happy living for me. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts and reflection on that? Well, let's go back to the introduction to the Ten Commandments. So God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt, um, the Ten Plagues, the power of God at work on behalf of his people. He's brought them through the the water of the sea, led them to, to Mount Sinai. He's appeared to them in an awesome way, so much so they're saying, uh, Moses, why don't you just go up there and talk to God for us? Uh, we can't deal with this. And then God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There's gospel. There's a good news right there. I mean, the slavery was the law for them. They'd experienced that. Now they have the presence of the Almighty God with them. And then what is he says? This is, this is now what you're going to do as the people that I have freed from slavery. And, and we refer to that as Ten Commandments, so we might get the mistaken impression, so, so we're on one side of the pendulum, that this is what we have to do in order to become God's people. Uh, it's like a test that we have to pass. Um, but if we're going to go about it that way, then we've got to get everything perfectly right. Um, if, if I come to well, walk along a path and I come to a chasm, and it's 10 feet across to get to the other side. If I had to try to jump that chasm and I make it nine feet, where do I end up? Down at the bottom. Or if for some reason I'm, I'm off the side of a building holding on to a chain with 100 links, what happens if one of those links goes bad and snaps? I'm falling down the side of that building holding on to 99 links saying, but 99 of them still work. But the one went bad. So the same with God's law. If we're going to go by the way of God's law to earn our salvation, we've got to keep every, every part of it every day perfectly. Back to the Ten Commandments. So if we're looking at them as being the way we become God's people, we're operating under the law. Now, we swing that pendulum back the other direction, and uh, so often they, people look at the Ten Commandments as being God's Ten Suggestions. Now, here's things you can think about doing if you feel up to it. Well, that's not right either. Uh, scripturally speaking, they're really the ten statements or the ten declarations. It's much more a matter of fact. God says, I've made you my people. Now, as my people, here's how you're going to live. Okay, this is how we should live. Again, not to take away fun or freedom, but to give God the glory 
for the benefit of the neighbor, and to be honest, for our own personal good as well. How much better would our lives be if we actually followed God's will? I, I like how you phrase that there, and I, I, I think is a, a rightful distinction of law and gospel in and of itself, right? And And in this sense, I might even go as far as to say the gospel precedes the law in this, which which is a key point to make when we talk about distinction of law and gospel. You, you said earlier that a lot of times in scripture we'll see it or a lot of times in sermons we'll hear that it's the law and then the gospel. But that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And, it, and in the sense of the example that you gave coming out of Egypt, right? I mean, yeah, sure. You can talk about the law that was at work on them. They, they were in slavery in Egypt, right? But... But as it comes to the Ten Commandments itself, the gospel comes first. I'm the Lord your God who has saved you from slavery in Egypt. I have made you my people, right? And he, and, and he gives them that comfort, that assurance. You are my people. And as my people, I love you so much that I want what is best for you. This is the Sean Smith paraphrase version. I do that a lot on the show. Um, but... Uh, you know, th- th- this is, I have made you my people. I love you and I want what's best for you. And so here's, here's how it's going to be best for you. I give you these 10 commandments. Okay. You're, you're still going to struggle to do them. And you're, so you're going to need that gospel repeated to you again and again. And, and so then what is it, What else does he do? He sets up the tabernacle worship, right? And the sacrifices, which ultimately all lead us to Christ. The book of Hebrews definitely wonderfully explains that, right? That he is the once for all final sacrifice that all the Old Testament sacrifices were setting up. But it's the very place that we come into the presence of God, right? We receive that reassurance that that proclamation again that you are my people i love you your sins are forgiven they're wiped out by the blood of the sacrifice always pointing to christ right and 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 then that's that's how we're rightly saved again from our failure to keep the law and we're we're let out of slavery to sin we'll go back in the previous chapter exodus 19 um one of the more important paragraphs not just in the Old Testament, but really in the entire Bible. Um, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What a wonderful gift. God was offering to these people that they would be his own chosen, cherished nation. And he had done it for them. Nothing they had done to deserve it. Uh, It was all based upon his promise and the covenant he had made with their forefathers. And now he is fulfilling that and he is offering them this life, life in in a promised land, life under his goodness, grace and blessing. And he he offers us that in Jesus Christ. He has given us the promised land of forgiveness, faith, salvation, and ultimately eternal life in his visible presence. Which, which again, is, is why we have to talk in terms of specific law and specific gospel. I think that's important in the sermon. I think that's important in pastoral care. Um, because when we talk about, you know, the, these you know, the, the law, 
you know, it's just kind of this thing that's out there. And there's a whole lot to the law, right? It's this high bar, as you said, right? Um, But when we start to see that we are given specific commandments, right, that this is what's happiness for you, right? And it all comes by his goodness, grace, and mercy and everything, right? Uh, The the gospel uh, leads us forth into this. Then, then uh, when when we see, oh yeah, I I have not done that, right? Well, then proper distinction of law and gospel also then leads into we need the specific gospel applied to the specific law that we have broken. Well, and you mentioned specific because it's easy enough, even as as preachers, to speak a law like this: the all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And then the people are sitting in the pew going, yeah, okay, yeah, I know that. I know that. Uh, they'll, they'll take that. They'll accept that if it's a corporate thing. You know, we're all in this together type of thing. I'm a sinner, I know. Yeah, I'm yeah. a sinner. I'm a sinner, yeah, okay. Uh, but boy, when it becomes specific, you know, and you have to point it out to an individual person over an individual sin, then it gets tough. It gets tough as a pastor to do it, and it certainly gets tough for a person to hear it. Yeah, and 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 again, God does this later with His people through the prophets, right? This is what you've not done. You have you have broken the first commandment. You literally are worshiping idols, which I told you to get rid of in this country, right? Uh, it's not to have any place, right? It's the first commandment. It's not going to be happy for you. This is the one that you have broke, right? And, and they're led off into exile. They come to repentance. They see their, their specific sin. It is spoken to them. Doesn't always go well for the prophets when they speak those, <laughs> that, that word of condemnation for those specific sins, right? Uh, and, and it's not even just a pointing the finger, you know, and, and I, I, I often say that I always know that the Holy Spirit's at work when I, when I preach specific law, but I don't have anyone in mind. If anyone, if anyone, I probably have myself in mind, right? And someone will come up and say, well, why are you preaching at me? And it's like, I didn't even know, but thanks for letting me know. But guess what? I have good news for you, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 but that, but now my brain just went break, uh, broken there. But uh, then that leads back to, again, uh, what, what we need is that specific gospel then applied as well, right? And what happens when the people of Israel let off in exile and they come to repentance and they get back into God's word, right? The, the prophets are also sp- uh, sent to speak words of consolation. I am your Lord. I will lead you back through my servant. And and that's it's, it's again just the beautiful distinction of law and gospel. Yeah, and you talk about specifics and you did did a funeral. Um without specific law or without specific gospel, the preacher is left with nothing but pious platitudes and some old, old worn out tired clichés. And that provides no substance nor any comfort. Whether that be at a funeral, and, and I've had a number of people, as, you, as you've experienced, they'll leave a funeral and they'll tell me how much they appreciated the message. Why? It wasn't anything I came up with. It was law and gospel, sin and grace, cross and resurrection. And they're not hearing this in other places. Or another setting, a wedding. You go to a wedding and they put preacher wants to talk about how beautiful a day it is and what beautiful people there are and you're a beautiful couple and have a great life and i'll tell them you know the person you're marrying is a sinner 
And and pretty soon you're going to be the world's foremost leading expert on each other's faults and failures, sins and weaknesses. And, and you can harp on each other on that and be miserable, or you can give what God has given to you, and that is the forgiveness of sins. A forgiveness that's an that is asked for, and a forgiveness that is shared, and then have a great life. Yeah, you're you're reminding my own wedding. Uh, Pastor John Hill, uh, district president of Wyoming, uh, preached my wedding. It had been he had been uh, my wife's pastor out there in Wyoming for many years, and uh, yeah, very very little of this platitude wedding stuff that you're talking about. It was you know how far we have fallen. This is this is this is what you're entering into in marriage here. And as you said, yeah, you're going to be the world's foremost experts on each other's sins. Uh, but then also the beautiful leading into of the gospel, right? But then ultimately, and this is what Ephesians 5 does, right? And St. Paul does, right? Ultimately, it's all about Christ and his bride, the church, and how he has loved her and how is he, he has cleansed her and made her pure and holy. And you get to live in that, right? And so the forgiveness of one another, the application of the gospel to one another's sins, again, this we just cannot express it enough that the proper distinction of law and gospel is just the most beautiful, comforting, sweet thing. And that's why the status of this controversy needs to continue to be talked about. You got one minute. Give us your parting thoughts. All right. Parting thoughts. Can we give our listeners an assignment? Yes. As we leave? Okay. Because we have affirmative statements next week. Okay. So uh, before you go to bed tonight, read Ezra chapter nine in the Old Testament, Ezra's prayer and identify the sections that are law and the sections that are gospel. That's my parting thoughts. All right, that's a great, great parting thought. Definitely, uh, well, it, it's it's a beautiful passage to to rightly distinguish law and gospel to see it at work uh, in Scripture. And so we'll we'll maybe have a check in on the homework uh, next week when we come check on in back. on that. And Ezra doesn't mince any words. Right. And so this will lead right into where we're going next week then is uh, the affirmative statements of, you know, why not just why it's important to distinguish law and gospel. We've laid that out well, but then how it is done. And so that's great homework for next week. Thank you very much, Pastor Norton. Mark Nebel for joining us for Concord Matters today. And if you have a question or comment that you would like to leave for us to address the next time we convene for Concord, you can leave us a message by phone 314-996-1542. Email KFUO at KFUO.org. Social media at KFUO Radio. Thank you for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.